I'm Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. This is a podcast for women who wonder how strength and weakness coexist, or how to bless both bravery and tenderness. For those longing to bring the fullness of their glory to the world without a chip on their shoulder. For those who have embraced a global sisterhood and left small storied lives behind, this is for you. The fierce and lovely women seeking the both and of a big storied life. Join me as I chat with fierce and lovely women around the world. episode, I talk with Mandy Hale, blogger turned New York Times bestselling author and speaker. Mandy is best known as the single woman on her social media channels, and she's kind of a powerhouse. She was invited by Oprah to cover her life class, the tour events as part of Oprah's network VIP press corps. She's been named a Twitter powerhouse by the Huffington Post, a woman of influence by the National Business Journal, and a single in the city by Nashville Lifestyles Magazine. She's been featured in Forbes and Glamour and other outlets. She's kind of a cool person, and she came on my show to talk about life, the real and the hard of her actual life, as she writes about in her latest book, You Are Enough, Heartbreak, Healing, and Becoming Whole which just released a couple of weeks ago, and you can find wherever books are sold. Uh, What I appreciate about Mandy is that she's an authentic, down-to-earth woman who is doing her very best to represent Christ in her life and to the women that she has the privilege of ministering to. I hope you enjoy our conversation and you get a taste of what this woman's fierce and lovely looks like. Enjoy the show. Hi, Mandy. Welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm excited to have you on the show today and to hear a little bit more about your story and the message that you have and your new book. Um, Can you just kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Well, my name is Mandy Hale and I am a blogger slash author. I Started a little blog, um, gosh, going on 10 years ago now called The Single Woman, and it immediately um, just drew in this really massive, passionate following of single women across the world, and it sort of began as a a blog and a social media movement, and then I was discovered on Twitter um, by my first publisher, and um, they asked if I would be interested in turning my blog and my message into a book. And that was super exciting for me because I had always wanted to write a book. I just didn't know how it was going to come about. And it was made possible through the power of social media. So now here we are almost 10 years and four books later, and I am still single. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'm not, you know, I'm believing that that's not always going to be the case. But 
uh, while it is, I feel very blessed to get to um, just share hope and inspiration and a little bit of humor and positivity with uh, the single women who follow my message. I guess it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? I mean, you're still able to to be fully uh, identifiable as the single woman, even yeah. though it's it's been 10 years and you're probably, you'd be happy to take on a different title as well. Yes. I've actually been trying to kind of shift the focus to um, just being Mandy Hale, the person and the author and kind of, uh, you know, the creator of the single woman instead of um, carrying the moniker of the single woman um, as, as my identity, because I do believe that words are powerful. And I apparently branded myself really, really well, uh, which is great. But like I said, I do hope to someday be, uh, you know, the engaged woman, the married woman, the expectant woman, all of the above. So uh, yes, it's been kind of, especially with this new book, it's been a nice little shift to kind of um, launch myself into talking about some new topics and some, you know, kind of branch out from just discussing singleness. Mm-hmm. Sure. I I completely can resonate with that. Um, I'm curious what in those early days of blogging and being on Twitter, what what were women responding to most in your message? Do, can you, is that some, some of what's the word, summarizable, <laughs> um, the message that you felt like people most resonated with? Yes. And I mean, I, I don't know if you remember those early days of Twitter, but I've looked at them now as, you know, very fondly as kind of the golden era of Twitter. It was a much different atmosphere then. Now Twitter is sort of uh, fraught with uh, negativity and the constant stream of of news and breaking news and scary news and anxiety inducing news. Um, back in the, the early days of Twitter, though, when I started uh, really sharing my message with people, it was a much different atmosphere. And, and there were a lot of, um, I guess, sort of inspirational, motivational people talking about various topics. But I noticed that no one was really talking about singleness. And here we are, almost 10 years later, and still really no one is talking about singleness in a positive light anyway, um, outside of me and maybe a handful of, of other people. So I think that women really set up and were like, hey, here's someone who is talking about single life in a way that's, you know, sort of celebrating who we are in this season of our lives and not talking about all the horror stories of, oh, you're more likely to get struck by lightning than to be married past the age of such and such. And, oh, you're not going to be able to conceive children past the age. You know, I mean, there's just all these just, you know, horror stories out there that are women, single women in particular, besieged with all the time. And I think with my message, I was really you know, sharing my journey and, all, and, and wisdom that I had learned from my single experience. And I think women resonated with that because they were like, Hey, here's one of us. She's not a guru. She's not a pastor. She's not, um, you know, some one speaking down at us. She's actually just a single woman who's sharing her heart and her journey in a positive way. And I think women just, they identified with it so much. They felt like that they were me. And, you know, I, I always say we are all the single woman because my story is their story. And I think there's power in that connection and that moment of, hey, oh my gosh, I recognize myself in, in your story. Hmm. 
Yeah, that I think that's your authenticity. It sounds like that that women really connected to. Yeah, I hope so. I really do. I've I've tried to, you know, sometimes to my own detriment, shared my my story in in as authentic and and you know, an honest and open and vulnerable a manner as I possibly can. And I did learn a, a little bit of a lesson. I say to my own detriment because last year I was in a relationship for a few months and it was very exciting because I thought, you know, this was the one and shared very publicly and very openly with my audience about this relationship. And sadly it ended a few months in um, rather unexpectedly and heartbreakingly. And after that, I was kind of like, you know, maybe I need to, the, the movie Titanic says a woman's heart is a deep ocean of secrets. Maybe I need to keep some things just for Mandy and um, still continue to be open and honest and authentic with my readers and, and social media fans and followers, but also have some boundaries and keep some things just for myself. Um, so yeah, I've, I've definitely learned some lessons over the years of, <laughs> of sharing, you know, every little aspect of my life and especially my love life, but it's, it's a good thing. It's all a live and learn. Right. Well, it sounds like you've learned a lot um, in the last few years and that you might even say you have a, a newer version of yourself. Um, and it sounds like you've gone through a lot of hardship, a lot of, um, just some, some brutal experiences. Is, is that the case? Yeah, I would say, um, and, and I think that I'll preface this by saying that I've kind of learned over these last few years that, you know, life is just sort of, it's hard in general and it's, it's tough for everyone. And we all kind of have our ups and downs and mountains and valleys. And and so um, just kind of learning over the last several years to, to roll with the punches a little bit and to trust that, um, you know, today's tears might be tomorrow's laughter. And um, all of that said, I, I will say that over, particularly over the last couple of years, um, life has thrown me some curveballs and some very unusual um challenges. And it definitely um, led to a season of, I call it sort of a dark night of the soul where I had some struggles with anxiety uh, and depression and had to seek recovery and, and help for that. And so, yeah, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it, it definitely has ended up being, strangely enough, this really kind of cool blessing because I feel like once again, I'm able to share in a much more authentic way because before, you know, I was the one um, sort of sharing inspiration and hope and, and humor and motivation. And then I became on the other side, I became the person who needed the inspiration and positivity and hope and motivation. And so it was really, I don't think you can truly understand someone's scenario until you've walked in their shoes. And so I had the opportunity to understand what um, mental health struggles are all about and to understand, um, you know, clinical depression and to walk in, in those, you know, in those shoes. And it's a scary, um, dark, often isolated, alone place, but coming out on the other side of it made me all the more passionate to turn around and help other women and other people in general 
uh, women and men who are struggling with any sort of mental health struggle. Hmm. So, Mandy, you go from kind of the height of your career, it sounds like. You have this thriving blog, hundreds of thousands of followers on social media platforms. Um, I heard Oprah is somewhere in your story there. New York Times bestseller list. Um, Really so much going on and then kind of hit a rock bottom with it it, from, you know, just reading a little bit of of your new book, which we'll talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. It sounds like with relationships, with family, with career, just kind of one thing after another. Um, Would you say that 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 is what led to that place of depression and anxiety for you? Or was that part, was that woven in all along as well? I've always had um, a tendency, well, I've always struggled with anxiety. It's been sort of a lifelong battle of mine. I, it, it's hereditary. I have I come from an anxiety-ridden family on all sides, um, just sort of a family of warriors. So, and, and my personality, I, I am an empath and I'm someone who's very um, sensitive and um, those types of personalities, creative, sensitive people tend to be more prone to mental health struggles. So I've always um, sort of had a, a tendency to be on the anxious side and, and have sought help for that over the years. I have also had um, a couple of experiences with, with true clinical depression. Um, the other experience was in my mid-20s when I it was situational. I, I lost my what was at that time my dream job working in television and a relationship that meant the world to me within a week of each other. And it sort of led to this spiral into a very dark place. And and I, again, recovered from that and really hadn't dealt with any true, serious, intense, depressive episodes until um, 2016. And that was all the things that you mentioned. Um, my brother-in-law, what kind of kicked it off was my brother-in-law was in a near fatal car accident. He lost his leg. It had to be amputated. And it was probably not, not probably, it was definitively the most traumatic thing that my family were a very close knit family. We all live here in middle Tennessee, five minutes from each other. Um, and it was the most traumatic thing my family had ever faced. And we had to all kind of step in and, and adapt to this new life. And, and my brother-in-law, you know, getting a prosthetic leg and recovering from his injuries and going through physical therapy and my sister being, you know, busy with him. And I had to take care of my nieces. And um, so that kind of kicked off this this season of, of challenges and, and struggles. And then a week or two later, I, I left my, my then publishing company because I just didn't, you know, when a big life altering event happens, it tends to make you reevaluate everything in your life. And I hadn't felt happy at my, with my last publisher in quite some time. And I thought, you know, it's time to just make the change. But that said, I was happy about the change, but then I was kind of like, okay, well, I don't have a publisher. So what does this mean for my writing career? And then, you know, from that point, there was, uh, I lost my grandmother who I'm very close with a few months later and lost a friend to suicide and lost a 10 year on again, off again relationship. And all of these things were, you know, all of this kind of hit within a six month to a year period. And that's a lot of pretty life altering 
events to happen in such a short span of time. And so, yeah, I was left kind of reeling and just kind of feeling empty and unsure, uncertain about what my future held and lost. And like, I didn't have any sense of direction or purpose. And, um, yeah, that led to, um, some, a pretty intense, uh, episode of, of clinical depression and I had to actually seek help for it. Hmm. Well, you're right. That is a lot to happen within a short time span. And I'm, I'm sorry, Mandy, to hear about it all. Um, so thankful that you sought and were able to receive the help you needed. Yes. What began to change for you? Because I know that yet your new book, You Are Enough, really was birthed out of this season of hitting rock bottom. So what began to, to shift for you? I think the biggest shift um, for me was uh, the the environment that I was very fortunate. A lot of people don't have the support system that I had. I had my family, my friends. I had, you know, health insurance and the ability to, to seek out the help that I needed. And I'm so grateful for that because I know that not everyone has those same privileges. Um, but, yeah, I... I uh, was recommended to a intensive outpatient program at a mental health facility. And it was basically a every single day group therapy, several intense hours a day, uh, five days a week, almost like you're going to school, except it's therapy. And that was really where things started to turn around for me because I found myself in this environment and I was very, I, you know, I was scared. I was nervous to, to, to be in, you know, what I considered to be, basically, I was in the mental hospital. And that was a place where I, I felt unfamiliar and unsure and, and, you know, a little nerve wracking, because you never know what to expect when you're, when you find yourself in that kind of situation. So, but what I found was that everyone there was just like me, they were just normal people just happened to have been hit by um, some really heartbreaking loss, losses and challenges and, and upheavals, and they just needed some help and support. And so I found this very unconditional, loving, welcoming, accepting environment of people. And I think that having that support and realizing that I could show up every day and just be Mandy, I didn't have to be the author, I didn't have to be, you know, the public figure or the single woman or be some, you know, say anything impressive or deep or meaningful. I could just show up and be Mandy and be broken and, um, you know, sad and hurting and struggling. And everybody there just welcomed me with open arms. And it was such a loving, supportive environment that, you know, not only did I sort of begin to find myself again, I was able to reconnect with my faith again in a really powerful way. Because when you go through all this loss and, all this turmoil, sometimes the, you can start to feel very far away from God. And like, where is he in all of this? Where did he go? Why is he abandoning me? And being in this, you know, more or less incubator of just, you know, love and um, acceptance and um, just unconditional acceptance was just such a beautiful thing for me. And I started to see, you know, glimpses of Jesus in the faces of the people who who I met um, during this process. And I grew very close with this group of people. I'd say the bonds that we all created during that time, I was there for two months 
um, that was even more beneficial to me than the therapy itself because I had never been in such, even in churches and, and small groups and Bible studies, you think that those would be the places where you would feel the most accepted. But sadly, those are sometimes the places where you have to put on, you know, the the mask and pretend that everything's perfect. And so being in an environment where I could just drop the mask and be myself 100% and be accepted for that and encouraged and loved for that, it was so healing and so restorative. And it made me, you know, start to realize that, hey, I, I may be broken. I may be struggling. I may feel lost, but I'm still enough. I'm still enough for whatever challenges come my way. I'm enough for um, you know, for anything and anyone. And that was just hugely life-changing for me. Hmm. And so then that became really the new message that you are enough, we are enough, that in God's eyes, we are exactly who he has designed us to be. And that is the life-giving message that that you've written about in your new book. Yes, absolutely. And I think Learning that we are enough and, you know, the the subtitle of the book is Heartbreak, Healing, and Becoming Whole. And I think that sometimes the tendency is to believe that we, okay, we'll be enough when we are healed. We'll be enough when we are whole. But my message is you are enough in whatever form that you happen to be. The heartbroken version, the depressed version, the anxious version, the, the broken version, and the healing version and the whole version you're, you're enough, no matter what version of yourself you are right now in this moment, you are 100% enough and accepting yourself and accepting your enoughness and accepting your worth and understanding that it can't be shaken, that your worth is inherent. It's, it comes from within and from above and it cannot be shaken by, you know, loss or a bad day or heartbreak or rejection or any of these things that come along and that we deal with every single day. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's, such a struggle for us. I think for men and women, um, this this feeling that we are not enough. Um, right. Where do you think that that comes from, and why do you think that's such a strong, loud message in our heads? Well, I think that the culture we live in right now, in particular, this social media driven world, and I, you know, keep in mind, I say this as someone who literally um, has a career path because of social media. So I certainly recognize the value and the benefits of social media, but there's also a very dark side and the comparison and the feeling like we're not, we don't measure up to the perfect family who they have, you know, the pictures of their kids on the first day of school looking perfect and wonderful and the carving the pumpkins at Halloween and the Christmas parties and we see all these things going on and we're forgetting that we see other people's highlight reel and we're not seeing, you know, the fighting that came before the Christmas party and that, you know, all the different things of we're, we're only seeing the, the highlights. We're not seeing the, the, the downside of, of everyone's life. So it can be, it can make you feel like, Hey, I, I'm not, I don't measure up. There's something wrong with me, you know, like take my life, for example, probably 95% of my graduating class from high school, they've been married for, you know, 15 years or so and have teenagers now and I haven't even gotten started. So it could be very easy for me to go on social media and see all their pictures and things and start to wonder what's wrong with me? Why am I not enough for this? So I think that we live in this in this current this current time where everybody's so obsessed with their phones and checking their Facebook and their Twitter and their Instagram and 
you know, constantly comparing their lives to everyone else's. I mean, it, it would be hard to not struggle with feeling like we're not enough when we're constantly besieged by, and that doesn't even take into consideration, you know, the messages that we're getting from the magazines and the TV shows and the, you know, you need to be this weight to be perfect and enough, or you need to have this type of skin or this color hair, or, you know, there's all this messaging hitting us on all sides 24 seven that we're not enough. So, you know, it's not surprising that depression and anxiety and and suicide are at an all time high. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does feel intensified. You know, I, I think perhaps as humans, we've always struggled with comparison and with these feelings, but the level to which we are bombarded, um, by that ongoing daily deluge of opportunities to compare. I think that's a completely different arena um, these days, for sure. Yeah, because I mean, think about it. We used to not hear about each other's weekends until we got to school or work on Monday, and then we would hear about it, but we weren't constantly hit you know, with the images, now we know what someone is doing at the very moment that they're doing it, because everyone, I feel like we're also caught in this web of everyone trying to, you know, prove how amazing their lives are, instead of kind of just focusing, focusing on how amazing, you know, the people right in front of them, instead of, oh, let me get all this out to social media. I think that it's so easy to to get caught up in that. And mm-hmm. it almost becomes like a competition. And um, yeah, I mean, it, you think about back in the day, we, we weren't, we were never hit with all of these images and these comparisons and it was such a more peaceful time. But at the same time, I mean, obviously I love social media. I love sharing my stories and connecting with my friends from, you know, high school and college and whatnot. And it's such a great thing, but we have to really keep it in perspective and we have to keep it in its place. And I think it's so important for people to regularly unplug and take time just to focus on their real life and not their online life. Mm-hmm. So when you struggle um, to, to feel, to when that feeling creeps back in, um, which I'm sure it's an ongoing battle um, to, to remind yourself, I am enough, I am enough. But when those feelings creep back in, what have you found is helpful to just reorient yourself towards truth and, uh, you know, reclaim a sense of, of peace and centeredness in who you are and who you've been created to be? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been, and, and I do talk about in the book how enoughness is a journey and it's not someplace you arrive at and then you never have to have to struggle with it again. It's a, it's an every single day um, process. And I think for me, just, um, accepting those feelings when they come and not trying to, to resist or fight them or think that I'm bad because I'm having, you know, feelings of moments of self self doubt, because we all have those. But I think, um, taking some time to myself, just spending for me, um, solitude and kind of just tuning out the world and tuning out, um, all the social media craziness and all that, and just spending, you know, a few hours or a weekend or a day just kind of to myself and in prayer and in quiet time and reflection and reconnecting with who I am and not who, um, the world is trying to convince me that I am. I think that that's so important. And I think 
again, the tendency nowadays is to constantly be busy. Crazy busy is the phrase and to be running from here to there and constantly surrounded by people. But if we don't ever have that centering time of just coming back to ourselves and learning how to sit quietly and peacefully with ourselves and and remembering who we are outside of all the whirlwind of crazy busyness. Um, yeah, it's, it's very hard to, to ever stay centered if you don't have those moments. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what my trick has been. <laughs> it's hard to get those moments, isn't it? Yes, for sure. I mean, absolutely. Uh, so Mandy, in my book, um, A Voice Becoming, I, I write a lot about um, it's it's for mothers raising strong girls, but it's so much about the story of us as women and coming to a place of kind of knowing our story and settling in with that story so that we can kind of look beyond and, and go forward. I I think about just all that you've shared about coming to, to grips with the hard of a season of your life. And you wrote in your book, sometimes it takes getting pushed to the very edge before you can find your voice and courage to speak out again. Mm-hmm. And I I loved that because it's I think it's a place that each of us come to at some point in our lives. For some of us it's when we're a teen. For some of us it's when we're, you know, 60 and everything in between. Um in that, I'm just curious in terms of finding the cur- your voice and courage to speak out again. This whole show is is about kind of wrestling with embracing the both and of fierce and lovely and being both of those, um, particularly with our voices, particularly with the message that we're offering to the world. And I guess I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. How have you uh, struggled with that both and of fierce and lovely with your voice? Right. Yeah. I mean, I will say I've been pretty, I mean, there've been seasons where I've had trouble finding my voice. Um, Overall, I've been pretty unapologetic though for my beliefs, my values, my opinions, because the thing is, if you're doing anything that's worthwhile, if you're taking any sort of stand for any cause or any um, anything really of value at all, you're going to get pushback. You know, you're going to get um, the negative feedback and you're going to get people in your ear telling you that you're doing something wrong. But I think you just have to be so sure of who you are and just so confident in your beliefs and your values and just really be willing to stand up and, and say, you know what, here's who I am. I may not be everybody's cup of tea and that's okay because the people who are meant to be um, a part of my life, the people who are meant to hear my, hear my message who are meant to be a part of my story, they're going to be here. And the ones who are not, they're spectators who are just kind of on the sidelines and they're probably not supposed to be a part of my journey anyway, and that's okay. So I think just coming to the realization that I am who I am, um, I believe what I believe, and standing firm on that. And, and you know, I even wrote a blog a couple of years ago called things I'm no longer apologizing for. And, you know, it lost me some social media followers, but it gained me some social media followers. And, you know, that's okay because it's really, it's not, if you're trying to please everyone, you're going to please no one, including yourself. And you're going to end up, you know, probably leading a very lukewarm, um, 
life. And, and if you never stand for anything, then just because out of fear of, of what people are going to say, um, then you're, it's very easy to lose yourself and to lose your voice and all of that. Mm -hmm. So really just kind of learning to stand up and say, this is who I am. Um, I'm not going to apologize for it and um, kind of letting the chips fall where they may. That's kind of been my way. <laughs> Have you found that in some, you know, with some audiences and with some aspects of what you're trying to share that it's, you're having to nuance how you say it? Is there a certain way in which you have begun to, to communicate some of those harder things? Well, I think with my message, it's so interesting because I'm, I'm, I tend to be too Christian for secular audiences and too secular for Christian audiences. <laughs> well, I have sort of this interesting sort of in-between place where I do appeal to some Christian audiences and then I don't, and then I do appeal to some secular audiences and then I don't. And um, I think just realizing that that's okay, that I may not be um, someone who is going to rise to the top of, of the Christian author slash, you know, figure world and just understanding, Hey, you know, that's okay because I am who I am. And my message is for, you know, it's meant to reach uh, the people that it's meant to reach. And, um, if I'm offensive to secular people from my Christian beliefs, I, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. And if I'm offensive to, Christian people for some of my own personal beliefs and values. And there's really nothing I can do about that. So I think that you just have to reach the place where you're not going to compromise in order to say what people want, want you to say. I think a great example of, of this right now in our, in our current world is Beth Moore. I think that she has been such a beautiful example of this. She is not saying, you know, the nice little thing that's going to keep her in the nice little polite evangelical um, cookie cutter place. She's kind of speaking out and using her voice. And I like to think that while I may not be as eloquent as Beth Moore, <laughs> that, that I also do the same and I, I'm not afraid to speak up and use my voice. And if that doesn't, you know, if that cost me, um, you know, readers or social media followers, then I, there's not much I can do about mm -hmm. that because at the end of the day, I'll be at peace with myself knowing that I stood up for what I believed in. And, um, in this day and age, the, the world that we're living in, I think that you absolutely, it's, it's vital that you stand for something. Yes. Agreed. And I'm so thankful that really getting pushed to the edge for you gave you the courage to speak out again and find your voice yes. and, and offer this book, um, to the world. You are enough. So Mandy, it was such a joy to talk with you and get to know you a little bit better. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, listeners, you know, as I think about my conversation with Mandy, I think this is one of the things we haven't talked a lot about on the show yet. And that's how do we come to a place of kind of figuring out and embracing the both and of our fierce and lovely. And I think so often there is some sort of inciting incident. I think of all good stories and how um, something happened in someone's life that took them down either a path for good or a path toward evil, right? That's how almost every story plays out on screen and in books. And I think that is partially true in our lives as well. There's often this moment where we come to the edge of ourselves, and that is what fully um, helps to crystallize 
kind of finding our voice and taking the next step on a path that previously wasn't clear and wasn't laid out for us. And so I think Mandy offers a great example for us to just consider that a little bit more and perhaps for you to ponder what what is that in your life? What is the edge of yourself that you perhaps have come to um, that is the final uh, instigator to discovering your voice? Just some thoughts for you to consider as a result of today's conversation. I hope you are learning and uh, enjoying listening to these incredible women that I've been having on the show. Would love for you to leave a review in iTunes if you haven't. Share the show with your friends if you haven't. And just thanks for showing up and listening. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. Podcast.